to turn to God's Word now, um, and we're going to turn uh, back to the book of Acts, um, and what we're doing is we're, for, for the next um, few Sundays, we're zooming in to look at the life of Stephen. We're going to examine the life of this man that we read of uh, just for a couple of chapters in Acts, and we're going to discover together, what, what, what does it mean to live as a Christian? What does it mean to, to be someone who's used by God? Stephen was an extraordinary character, uh, and we've got lots that we want to learn. So we're going to ask God for his help. I realized this afternoon um, that there are so many things that could distract us. Um, if we're here in the room, I realize that wearing masks and things is uncomfortable. Um, if you're sitting at home, I realize there's all sorts of things that could easily distract you. And actually, it would be a real shame this afternoon to be distracted from what God has to say to us. So let's pray. Let's ask that God, by his spirit, would enable us to listen. So let's bow our heads and let's pray, and then we're going to read uh, the Bible together. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, by your grace, that you would give us alert minds, give us soft hearts. Father, please would you speak to us. We, we need to hear your voice. We, we need to know what you think. We need to know what you have said. We need to know the ways that you want us to live. So we're here, we're hungry, we're ready to listen. Please remove all distraction and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read through Acts chapter 6. Um, we did the first bit last week. We were thinking about the times in which Stephen lived. That was kind of chapter 1 of his biography. Uh, and we saw it as a time of growth, but also a time of struggle. But I'm going to read through the whole chapter now, and I want to focus in on what we're told about Stephen in particular. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth 
will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I think as you read the account of Stephen's life, it's difficult to miss the fact that the repeated word is the word full. He was a man who was full. And I think that's what makes him a compelling character for us to explore together this afternoon. He's a man who was full. Let me just show you where it says that. In chapter 6, verse 3, it says that they're to choose people who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Verse 5, he's been described as being a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he's described as a man being full of God's grace and power. Full, 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 right? You get the idea. And actually, at the end of his life, just before he faces his execution, we're told in chapter 7, verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and died. Here is a man who was full. Now, what does that mean? Why is being full so good? I think this is more than just about he has a full experience of life. I think this idea of being full means that Stephen had all he needed to face whatever life threw at him. He was full. He had all that he needed, all the resources. Stephen is like a firefighter's hose that is connected to the, not in every way, just in this one particular way. He's like a firefighter's hose who is connected to the mains water supply. It's never going to run out. There's a there's a power, there's an abundance. It doesn't run dry. Stephen is full. He doesn't run out. And the reason I find Stephen so compelling is because if I'm completely honest with you, that is not my experience of life often. My life does not always feel like that. And perhaps you would say the same. We don't always feel full of everything that we need. In fact, if we're honest, rather than a firefighter's hose, sometimes it feels like we're standing there with a tiny little bucket with a crack in it. And we're facing this massive fire and we've got a tiny little bucket with a drip of water and it's leaking out the bottom. At least that's how I often feel. So something comes along, something happens, and I need wisdom to know what the right thing to do is. I don't know what the right thing to do is. So I run to the cupboard to get my wisdom bucket, but my wisdom bucket's small, and it's got a crack in the bottom, and I feel like I'm lacking the wisdom I need in order to know what's the right thing to do. And even as I stand there, I feel my weakness and inadequacy. Or I'm facing a challenge or a situation and I don't have the power. I don't, I, don't, I don't have the strength. I feel overwhelmed. I feel weak. And so I get my little bucket, my little power bucket out. But it's only half full. There's nothing there. It feels so weak. And so I can feel myself shrinking back and keeping my head down. But Stephen, come on, listen. Stephen was full. He was full. He had all the resources he needed to face whatever life threw at him. 
Now, if we don't learn from Stephen this afternoon, if we don't listen to what God tells us in his word this afternoon, we will either spend our lives kind of frustrated and disappointed at our lack of resources and just feel inadequate all the time, or we'll only try and do things that we think our little bucket is big enough for. So we'll have very low expectations and very low ambition. God has so much more for us. I feel really convicted by this this week. And I, as I've studied it this week, that the kind of force of this, that God has a power for you. He wants you to be full. Full of all that you need to face whatever life throws at you. And if you're here this afternoon, or if you're watching this on a live stream, and, and you're not a Christian, and you're, you're checking out, what is this all this Jesus stuff about? Well, what we're going to see this afternoon is an authentic example of what it means to live for Jesus. And it's not what you might think. We're going to see what a real Christian looks like. This is life as it's meant to be lived. This is life to the full. And I want to suggest to you that it's deeply attractive and compelling and is actually what you were made for. So there's two big questions we're going to ask. This is fairly straightforward, he says, hopefully. Two big questions. The first big question is, what, okay, what was Stephen full of? I mean, that's an obvious question, isn't it? It's all very well saying he's full, but what's he full of? Well, before we get to Stephen, let me ask this. If someone had to finish the sentence about you, how would it end? You know, Dave, a man full of what? Debbie, a woman full of what? What is it that your life is full of? What, what is it that characterizes you? Well, the key reality about Stephen is that he's a man who is full of the Holy Spirit. And there are other things that flow from that reality. So he's full of the Spirit and wisdom. He's full of faith and the Spirit. He's full of grace and power. But all of those things flow from the fundamental truth that he's full of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives him wisdom. It's the Spirit who gives him faith. It's the Spirit who gives him grace. And it's the Spirit who gives him power. It is the Holy Spirit who fills this man. You want to know what Stephen's full of? He is full of the Holy Spirit. Which, of course, does just raise the question, well, what do we mean by the Holy Spirit? So let me take a quick doctrine slot. <laughs> by which I mean... Let's get clear on what we mean by the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about the Spirit from time to time. We mention him, but do we often know what we mean? This is not everything you need to know, but this is some of the things that I think you need to know about the Holy Spirit. And we discover about the Spirit in the Bible. This isn't just kind of, well, what do I think about this? Everything we learn, we, we want to learn from what God has shown us in the Bible. So here's a quick little doctrine slot. What do we mean by the Holy Spirit? In fact, more accurately, who do we mean? Because the first important thing to know is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force to tap into or a power source to harness, but he is a person to be known and to be experienced. Now, actually, that reality is all over the place in the Bible, but you can see it, interestingly, just one chapter before in the book of Acts. Um, if you've got Bibles, 
then you can flick back. Don't worry if you haven't. But back in Acts chapter 5, there's a really sad story about a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And they lie to the church about how much money they're giving. But it's interesting because when the leaders of the church um, hear about this, they say to them, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? So the leaders say, you've not just lied to the church, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, you can only lie to a person, right? Lying is a personal, relational thing. You don't lie to a force. So I don't lie to gravity. I might try defying gravity. Little, doesn't matter. Um, that was a musicals joke. Um, didn't work. Anyway, uh, you might try defying gravity, but you can't lie to gravity because gravity is a force, and lying is a personal thing. Lying is about a relationship, right? So if you can lie to the spirit, that's because the spirit is a person. So the spirit is a person, but the second big thing you need to know is that the spirit is God. Because what they say to Ananias is you've lied to the spirit, and then two sentences later, Peter says you've not lied just to human beings, but to God. So to lie to the spirit is to lie to God, because the Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit is God. So we don't talk about the spirit as an it, but as a person. Now, of course, you see, as soon as you begin to pull on this little thread of theology, which is what we're doing, in case you didn't notice, you begin to kind of go deeper and deeper into theology. This begins to drive you into the very nature of who God is, the, the doctrine, the reality of God as Trinity. So there is one God who eternally exists as three persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They exist as a tri-unity, three in one. It's a beautiful reality. God is not an isolated being who floats around on his own in space. He is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's always been that way. That is how God reveals himself to us. Okay, a little trivia question for you, just to keep you interested. Maybe. Where's the Spirit first mentioned in the Bible? First mentioned the Holy Spirit in the Bible? Comes in the opening paragraph. Where we're told that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then we're told the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the Holy Spirit is the agent of creation. He is the active, personal presence of God in the world. This is who the Spirit is. I, I want us to get a little bit excited about who the Holy Spirit is this afternoon. I know it's hot because it's, it's hard because it's warm. But the Spirit of God is this awesome, powerful, personal presence of God, manifesting God in the world. And then as you go on through the story of the Bible, in the pages of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit turns up and he works and he acts in people's lives. And there are moments when he specifically fills someone to do a specific task, but he's not filling everyone. Limited for some people for specific tasks, so he fills kings and he fills prophets and, and he kind of works in different ways. But it's the Spirit is not given to all of God's people at that time. 
That's a promise that God's people had to wait for. And there's a beautiful picture, okay, of what God has in store. Right, remember my um, fireman's hose illustration at the start? That was almost biblical, that illustration. I'm now going to show you a more biblical illustration, a better illustration than the one I actually used. You might wonder why I didn't use it. Um, I didn't. I want to use a, a picture from the Bible that's a very similar idea. And it comes from the book of Zechariah. And you've got to imagine a lampstand. Now, not like an Ikea uplighter. I don't mean a lampstand. I mean more a golden lampstand with seven branches, each with lamps at the end, lights at the end. And the lights burn as as oil is burnt. So Zechariah sees this vision of a lampstand with these lamps that are burning, seven lamps. But then next to the lampstand, there are two olive trees. And then there are pipes, could call them hoses, um, from the trees, which are piping oil directly into the lampstand. So the lampstand keeps burning because it's continually supplied by the resources from the olive trees. Does this make sense to people? People getting this? You may say, well, that's all, what's all that about? Well, then Zechariah says, Zechariah is told, not by might, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. God's purpose has always been that his spirit would be on tap for his people. That his personal, powerful presence would be constantly, that's the promise, there's going to come a day when my spirit is going to be piped in to you. That wasn't the experience of the Old Testament. So then Jesus comes into the world, all right? Stick with this. Jesus comes into the world, and it's a decisive moment. Remember the Trinity. Jesus, there's the Father, there's the Son, the eternal Son of God, comes into the world. He who has always existed with his Father humbles himself and becomes a man. And at the day of Jesus' baptism, as Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters again. The Spirit of God comes down and fills Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4, we read this. this is, I, I don't think we imagine Jesus. I don't think we think about Jesus like this. But Luke chapter 4 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There's our word again, right? Full. So the archetype, the the kind of, the perfect full of the Spirit man is not Stephen, first and foremost. It's Jesus. Jesus is the full of the Spirit man. He was perfectly filled with the Spirit. So it should come as no surprise, guess what? In the opening chapters of Luke, you get these words about Jesus. He's full of wisdom. He's full of grace. He's full of power. Exactly those words are used. Why? Because it's the Spirit. And that's what comes with the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is there, that's what you get. Wisdom, grace, power. And here is Jesus, full of the Spirit. 
And so Jesus, according to his human nature, was dependent upon the power and the resources of the Spirit. He taught by the power of the Spirit. He lived by the power of the Spirit. He healed by the power of the Spirit. And he shows us how humanity is supposed to live. So Jesus is the lampstand from Zechariah's vision, who is continually supplied with the oil of the Spirit. You may say, what, what is all, you have completely lost the plot. I've lost that. I don't know what we're doing. Where, how did we end up here? Well, this is good news. The fact that Jesus is full of the Spirit is very good news because humanity has got this wrong. By nature, we live in self-dependence. We've chosen cracked little beach buckets rather than the Holy Spirit that we were created for. And so, of course, we find ourselves lacking wisdom, grace, and power because our buckets are too small. It is the height of foolishness to have a powerful, unlimited, superabundant hose and a cracked little bucket with a dirty bit of grubby water in it and going, I'll have the bucket. That's the height of foolishness. And yet it's the choice we make over and over again when we reject the, the powerful spirit by which we were created to live and instead we live depending on our own resources. That's why Jesus had to come. He came to save us from our folly. His death on the cross is what pays for our wickedness, our foolishness. That's why he died. And then he rose again and he ascended to heaven and guess what happened next? The Holy Spirit was poured out. You've got to hear this. He was poured out. That's the language again and again in the book of Acts. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days. Peter says in Acts 2 that Jesus has poured out the promised Holy Spirit now. You know what time we live in? We live in the days when the Spirit of God has been poured out. Why? Because the Spirit-filled man has come, Jesus, and perfectly lived and died and risen again. So now the Spirit is poured out. That wasn't true before Jesus came. We now get to be the lampstand that is, has the Spirit continually pumped into us. So when we say that Stephen, okay, we're back at, here we are, hello, back at Stephen. It's been a long time, but we're back. When we say that Stephen was full of the Spirit, we're saying things of enormous significance. Let's spell it out just over here. We are saying that the Creator God, the one who's high and lifted up, has taken residence and is now living in Stephen. Get it? The same Spirit who hovered over the waters at creation, is now filling Stephen. We're saying that the same spirit that filled and empowered Jesus now lives in Stephen. We're saying that Stephen has access to the same wisdom, power, and grace that Jesus himself lived in. You've got to let that sink in. That's who the spirit is. 
The same Spirit by which Jesus did all of his life is the same Spirit that is available to us. God has not set before us an unattainable life that we are doomed to fail. Rather, he comes to us in the person of his son and says, I'll die to forgive you. And then he comes to us in the person of his spirit and he says, I will pour all of my resources into you. You Jesus didn't simply die so we could be forgiven of our sin. He died so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the life that we were made for. That's the, that's the first question. <laughs> um, here's the second question then. Fine. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second question. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? What does that really mean? What does that look like for us? Well, that's been a question that's caused much controversy and confusion in the history of the church. And I don't claim in the next five minutes I'm going to be able to clear all that up entirely. But let's start with what I think the Bible clearly says. When someone realizes that their bucket is cracked, when someone realizes that their resources are limited, when someone realizes that they do not have the power to live this life called life, when someone realizes that they've made a terrible decision to choose a bucket over a hose, when people realize their sin and they turn to Jesus for forgiveness, they are given the Holy Spirit. He is a gift that is freely given to all who believe in Jesus. That is absolutely crystal clear in the Bible. That is what baptism of the Holy Spirit means. It is the moment when you are given the Spirit, a new heart, you're transformed, you're changed, The creator comes to take up residence and to live in you. Have you done that? Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that moment of being given the spirit? If you believe in Jesus, you have received the spirit. You have the spirit of God. You would not love Jesus if it wasn't for the spirit. You would not care about sin if it wasn't for the spirit. You would not see Jesus as beautiful if it wasn't for the Spirit. So many Christians have been damaged by a teaching that says that you become a Christian and at some point later on you get given the Spirit. No, absolutely no. You're given the Spirit as you turn to Jesus. It's a beautiful gift. He lives in you. But there is then more to say. Because although the initial filling is a one-off event, you have been filled with the Spirit. There is an ongoing experience of being filled with the Spirit. You see, when they asked the church to choose seven people who are known to be full of the Spirit, that'd be weird if that, wasn't, if that just meant, well, anyone. <laughs> no, there are those... Part of the experience of living as a Christian is an ongoing experience and fullness of the Spirit. So remember the lampstand? Come on, remember the lampstand and the hose pipe? It's not that you just get a big lump of olive oil at the start and say, Deva, go burn that. No, you are continually supplied. So to be filled with the Spirit is a one-off event and a lifelong, ongoing, continual event. Both of those things are true. 
So what does that mean? Well, let's try and get practical. Here are two things. Let me suggest two ways to consider a life full of the Spirit. What was it about Stephen that meant he was a man full of the Spirit? What would it mean for us to be people full of the Spirit, who've turned to Jesus, been forgiven of our sin, given the Spirit? What does it mean to now live in the fullness of the Spirit? Firstly, I want to suggest it means a life where the Spirit is our primary influence. To be full of the Spirit means to live a life that is controlled and influenced and shaped by the Holy Spirit. Think about the word influence for a second. It wasn't too many years ago when the word influence used to be a verb. Um, and it used to be something that some people did. But it's not, it wasn't really a noun. But it's really become a noun, hasn't it? You now have influencers. Someone is an influencer. That's quite a new phenomenon. It's not a very new... It's not a very, um, that wasn't around in my day when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm so old. In fact, it's not just become a noun. It's become a full-on career option. Careers advisors up and down the country are doing their head in as people come in and go, what do you want to do with your life? I just want to be an influencer. And you don't, you could, the, the thing is, there's levels, right? You could be a micro-influencer. I like that. If you've only got like a thousand followers on social media, you could be a micro-influencer. I'd settle for being a micro-influencer. But at the top end, being an influencer is serious business. Right? Kylie Jenner, who is one of the top, apparently. <laughs> I'm really out of my comfort zone here. <laughs> I'm really skating on thin ice. So I'll, I'll get this over with quickly. She is paid over a million dollars for one post on social media endorsing a product. What are we doing with our lives, people? Why? Because she has such influence. Her power of influence is so great. And it's because we are people who are easily influenced. We like to think that we're free. We like to think we're not influenced by anyone. We're, we're, but we're massively shaped by the voices around us. We'll be conformed to whatever is filling us. Whatever we fill our lives with will shape us and influence us. Sometimes that's voices outside of us, like Kylie Jenner. Sometimes that's voices within. You know, sometimes I'm full of fear, and that shapes my life. Sometimes I'm full of selfish ambition. That shapes the way I live my life and the choices that I make. Sometimes I'm full of jealousy. It influences me, or guilt. So much of our lives is shaped by the voices that most heavily influence. So right now, in your life, as you think about your life now, what is the biggest influence in your life right now? What is influencing the decisions you make? What is shaping the way that you live? Do you even know? Sometimes we can be so naive we don't even consider what is really going on. Well, there's a very interesting verse um, in Ephesians 5 which I think helps us to understand this idea of being full of the Spirit like Stephen. Paul writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He takes drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit and contrasts them. When you are drunk, what, what is true of you? You are controlled by alcohol. In fact, we even use the language, you're under the influence, right? It controls us. It shapes the... We, we act in ways that we would not normally act if we were sober. 
And Paul says, don't be controlled by alcohol or by other things. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control you. Let Him be the great influencer in your life. Let Him be in the driving seat. And of course, that scares us because we like to be in control. We like to think that we're making our own decisions. But the Holy Spirit is God's good gift given to enable us to please God. We need to let the Spirit shape our thinking, shape our desires. So here's Jesus, full of the Spirit. He loved what the Spirit loves. He desires what the Spirit desired. He walked in the way the Spirit led. He wasn't influenced by people around him. He wasn't impressed by money or power. He was full of the Spirit. And now here's Stephen, received the same Spirit, and now living in the same Spirit, and now shaped and influenced by the same Spirit of God. This is what makes being a Christian so different. The Spirit doesn't come and say, here's your rules, you've got to obey. The Spirit says, I want to shape your life. I want to change you. I want to change your heart. I want to change the things you love and the things you desire. (laughs) The Spirit is so good. It was always God's promise. God said, this is what the Spirit would do. He said, I'm going to send my Spirit. And he's going to give you a new heart. He's going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to move your heart of stone. I'm going to give your heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I'm going to move you to follow my decrees. I'm going to influence and shape and change your desires. So, look, will you join me in praying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, shape my desires. Holy Spirit, move me to love what you love. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Fill me so that you influence me, so that you shape everything about me. Be the continual supply of oil that flows into my life and fills me. And perhaps that means, Holy Spirit, would you silence the voice of fear that so often controls me? Silence the guilt. Silence the selfish ambition. Silence the jealousy and the envy. Holy Spirit, fill me. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. And then secondly, and we we, we need to finish. Secondly, to be full of the Spirit means to live a life where the Spirit is the source of power. So where he's the greatest influence and he's the source of power. I mean, it's crystal clear as you look at the book of Acts 6 that Stephen had remarkable power. Amazing power. A power that came from the Spirit. A power accompanied by grace where he was kind and gentle and humble. Not pushy and bolshy, but full of grace towards others. Kindness. A power where he could work miraculous signs. The same power that was at work in Jesus is now at work in Stephen. Because in the days in which Stephen lived, the Spirit knew that the signs and wonders were important for the witness of the gospel. That same Spirit lives in us. That same power is available to us. And if signs and wonders are what is needed, the Spirit will give us the power to do those things. We've got to trust Him. We've got to look to Him to give us the power that we need in order to make Jesus known. And even a power when opposition comes. It's striking isn't it, how quickly opposition arises. And I don't know if you noticed, the trial of Stephen, it really sounds like the trial of Jesus. 
See, Stephen is dragged in front of the same Sanhedrin. The same Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus to death in Jerusalem. He's falsely accused and lied about. The false charges relate to the temple, just like they did in Jesus' day. And the end, we're told that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. Why? Because the Spirit of God, the power of God was at work in him. When he spoke, there was something different about what he said. He spoke with a wisdom that came from God, not from man. And this is remarkable. This is the fullness that the Spirit produces. Here is Stephen, the lampstand, with the Spirit continually supplied to meet every need. Every time he opened his mouth, the Spirit was filling him in order to help him to speak. Every opposition he faced, even as he faced the most vicious opposition, his face just shone like an angel. So I wonder, will you join me in praying, Holy Spirit, fill me like that. Fill me with that sort of power. Fill me with that sort of wisdom. Give me the resources I need to live this life. This is how Christians do remarkable things for Jesus. Not because they're brave or impressive, but because they're a lampstand that is plugged and continually filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, there's so much we could say about this topic. And and I I want us to take this idea of being full of the Spirit and I want us to drive this home. I, I want us to pray this this week for each other. Father, please, would you fill us with the Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you be the primary influence? Would you be the source of power in all I do? And where you feel your lack, where you feel your little bucket, throw the bucket away and turn to the Spirit. Ask Him for power. We help each other as we... Look to Jesus, the Spirit-filled man, as we remind ourselves of his death on the cross, as we read his word, as we understand all that he said, the Spirit fills us. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to lead us in prayer, simple prayer, that the Holy Spirit would fill us. That the Holy Spirit would do that continual, ongoing filling for all that we need. So whether you're sitting at home, whether you're in the room here, let's bow our heads and let's seriously come before God. And if this is what you want, if you want to know this power in your life, then you have to ask him. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Why don't you just take a moment and think, where is it that you most feel your need of the Spirit's help at the moment? Where do you most feel your need of the Spirit's power or his wisdom or perhaps his grace? Where do you feel like your bucket is too small? And as we identify those areas of our lives where we feel our lack, let's now turn to the Father and ask that he would pour out his spirit. Father, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful gift that you have given of your spirit. Thank you that you have poured out your spirit. That there's not a a lack, there's not a, a um, a limited supply. 
but that your powerful personal presence is available to us all the time to be the one who comes and fills us up. And Lord, we want to be like that lampstand in Zechariah's vision. We want to know the Spirit of God filling us every day, every moment, that we would live our lives with the Spirit as our primary influence, shaping us, controlling us, moving us to love Jesus and to love you and to love your ways. And your Spirit as the source of power who makes up for our weakness, who gives us the words to say when we don't know what to say, who gives us the wisdom we need when we don't know what to do, who shows us the way to go when we don't know the right way to turn. That your Spirit, Father, please, your Spirit would be our source of power as we seek to live for Jesus in this world where there's so much opposition. Lord, we thank you for the example that we see in Stephen of the man full of the Spirit. But thank you for Jesus, the supreme picture, the supreme Spirit-filled man. Lord, we trust you and ask that your Spirit fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.